Hey there, welcome to Tea with Mara. Thanks for seeking out these recordings and listening. My name is George, or you may know me in the metaverse as Kiyoki from Together with Trip. These recordings are from my live sessions in virtual reality and may sometimes feature other content. For the best experience of these sessions, you can join me in virtual reality. But when you can't, or if you want to go back and listen again, these audio or video recordings will be offered freely to all. To join us in VR or for the live broadcast on our Discord server, you can find our full schedule of events by visiting trip.com events, including instructions on how to join us in VR. You can even join in 2D mode from a computer. If you wish to support my teachings and these recordings, the best way to do that is to leave a review and share this podcast with others. And if you find value in them and you want to, you can make a donation offering right through the Two Hands Sangha website or soon through the podcast itself. All links should be found in the show notes. Now let's invite the bell and begin. You know, this session is called right now. It's like this. And, and this is when it's really good to remember that the reason for that name, because right now <laughs> it's like this right now. I've got neighborhood dogs barking. You know, it's that time of the evening, which the deer in the neighborhood are so sweet and kind. They, they like to walk through the, the woods behind the house right at this time every day. And that sets off all the dogs. Very thoughtful. And um, my own household is abuzz with frustration energy, as I mentioned a minute ago. (laughs) And all the technology is not going appropriately here for me. It's not working quite right. So it is just one of those times that right now, this is how it is. You know, we think that saying right now it's like this means either it sucks or it's great, but it just means that right now, whatever is, is what is. That's what we got to deal with. Right now, this is what I'm dealing with. Okay, anyways, I was in the middle of trying to say welcome and thank you for all being here from here or in the Discord or wherever everyone is joining us, maybe later listening to the broadcast or the recording or whatever. So in one of my talks recently, I don't remember when, I mentioned the fact that there are three kinds of suffering that the Buddha talked about often and said that there was, there was these three kinds. And I only named one of them that night, which was relevant to whatever the talk was that evening. And that one was the one I mentioned a minute ago too, which is Dukkha Dukkha. It's always kind of funny to say because you're saying the word twice. Dukkha Dukkha. Suffering about suffering. That's what it means. It means when you suffer about the suffering you already are experiencing. And I thought I would tell you tonight about all three of them, because we don't do that very often, at least not as a trio. It's been about four or maybe five years since the last time I talked about these. So I figured maybe it was time for a refresher. First of all, let's just talk about the word itself, dukkha. 
we always hear it described as suffering, which is fine, but it often gets misunderstood because that word for us today means something a little different than it did, you know, 2,500 years ago, probably. But that word gets translated as suffering, and we think that means like agony, you know. But it's really more like stress, discomfort, or dis-ease, uncomfortable. And I like the word discomfort. I find that one works really well for me. Uh, It seems a little more accurate to me. Maybe in your sharing tonight, after we're done, if if anybody shares tonight, maybe you can share with me what word you think is best, what you like when you think of this word. Because lots of people use different words. And you could maybe tell me why, too. I'd love to hear it, I'll tell you that. And maybe if nothing else, we'll learn that one thing is true, and that is that language causes more problems than it solves sometimes. (laughs) Anyhow, in the Pali language, dukkha, which is how we normally pronounce it, dukkha, you know, at least us southern folks, I guess. But it's actually not pronounced dukkha. It's it's properly pronounced, if, if I'm properly pronouncing it, it's properly pronounced as dukkha, like a little glottal stop in the middle of it, dukkha. In the Pali language, the normal thing is if there are two of the same letter, together, then you're going to put that little hesitation in there. And I used to sort of find it a bit pretentious when I would hear people do it because I didn't know that. I didn't know that was how it was done. And whenever I would hear some of the the the, the old hippie teachers uh, of Buddhism in America, whenever I would hear them teach and they would use the word Buddha, they wouldn't say Buddha like I do. <laughs> they would say Buddha. Buddha. But that's why. It's actually the correct way to say it. So it's me that's wrong and pretentious, <laughs> thinking that I can say it my own way instead of the proper way. But I've just never been able to get myself in the habit of that. Maybe I will when I'm older. Anyhow, the syllable ka kind of means something like space. Uh, and du, the, the, the other half of the word, means something like shaky or bumpy. And so it's a it's a rough, probably somewhat inaccurate translation of the Pali, but it gives you a rough idea of what it was referring to. And what it was referring to with a, a bumpy space, a rough space, when it originally was sort of formulated, it was referring to a wheel and the axle in the wheel hole, you know, in the wheel well hole or wheel, I don't know what you call that, but where the axle goes in the wheel. And if it wasn't smooth, then the chariot would ride roughly. And if it was smooth, then the chariot rode smoothly. So a rough space for the axle meant it was going to be a bumpy ride. And a bumpy ride or an uncomfortable ride is probably the best way to describe dukkha. (laughs) If you are suffering, you're in for an uncomfortable ride. Being a human is an uncomfortable ride through relative reality. Now, most of us know or have heard of the Four Noble Truths, usually said as something like, we have a problem, we can investigate and find the root cause of the problem, and there's a way to solve the problem, and the solution for the problem is to follow the Eightfold Path. That's the Four Noble Truths. 
And in the Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddha said it as, uh, she knows it as it really is, this is dukkha. He knows it as it really is, this is the arising of dukkha. They know it as it really is, this is the cessation of dukkha. And we know it as it really is, this is the way leading to the cessation of dukkha. So that's the same Four Noble Truths, just in his words, almost. I'm actually taking a little bit of liberty there and using some pronouns that include everybody (laughs) instead of just he, as it was actually done. So now that, you know, how do we know dukkha when we see it? What is it? Well, you know, the old saying about, uh, I forget who it was that said that back in the eighties, I think of, um, what is porn? You know it when you see it. (laughs) Well, that's how suffering works too. You know, um, you know it, (laughs) we all know it. Even if you can't describe it, you know it and you can probably describe it, but there's three kinds. There's dukkha, dukkha, suffering about our suffering or being uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. There's sankara dukkha and there's viparanama dukkha. Now, Dukkha Dukkha is the most commonly known one, and we'll circle back to that in a moment. The second one, Sankara Dukkha, means something like formation. Sankara means something like formations or composition. So something that is composed of something. It means the suffering we do over things that are conditioned when they come apart. So the third one, though, Viparanama Dukkha, means something like the suffering of losing happiness. When we, when we lose the pleasant things, Viparanama is a compound of several words that means something like the complete turning around of things from good to bad. And that's a little bit of linguistic liberty there, but that's roughly what it means. And I, I guess it just means sort of the complete changing. So when things are going well and we don't want them to change, they change completely (laughs) and we suffer about that. So in simple terms, these three are suffering when things hurt, suffering when things are good and turn bad, and suffering that nothing lasts. With the teachings on suffering in general, we often misunderstand the, the, the translation is often life is suffering, which sounds so doom and gloom, you know. That's why I like the word discomfort. Life is uncomfortable. I have, I will experience discomfort in life. That's what it means. And this sounds a lot more reasonable and, and accurate to me like that. You've likely heard me talk about Ajahn Buddha Das's uh, little booklet called Life is a Prison. I mention it pretty frequently because it's really important to me. His teachings on, uh, on that and on voidness and all of that are really important to me. They're really frank and clear, and I like that. But that's what it's all about. You know, that which we form an attachment to, we develop a craving for. That which we develop a craving for will disappoint us and make us uncomfortable. Because it is either going to change before we want it to, or not change soon enough. Which is really about two of the three kinds of suffering. And the other one, or the other being the one that when something hurts, we're going to suffer about that discomfort. <laughs> it's a sticky kind of mess, all this suffering. It's a lot easier to just go, life is suffering. That's Maybe that's why we have that <laughs> saying. 
But the Buddha said that suffering is, in a nutshell, not getting what we want and getting what we don't want. So what are we going to do about it? Which we already kind of answered in the opening. We apply the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path to it. Problem solved. Easy peasy. But it's not so simple, right? It actually is that simple. But that means it's simple. That doesn't mean it's easy. First, we have to be able to recognize it if we want it to end. And most people go through life unaware of all of this. About 94% of mankind, as far as we know, is what the Buddha called the uninstructed worldlings. Only about 6 or 7% of mankind meditates on a regular basis and experiences the teachings of the Dharma. If you don't know there's a way out, then you just suffer because you don't know any better. So I said I would come back to the Dukkha Dukkha, and that's the one we're talking about here. When we talk about the second arrow, um, you know, and if you know, you know, and if you don't know, the Buddha said Dukkha Dukkha, or suffering about suffering, is like getting struck with an arrow and then jamming a second arrow into the wound. Why would you do that? But we do it all the time, especially if we don't know. <laughs> the first one, the first arrow that somebody shot you with, you might not be able to prevent. That, that suffering happened and you can't stop it or change it. It already happened. But the second arrow of suffering is optional. The one where we go, ow, that hurts. Ooh, you know, and all of the story we tell about that suffering. Totally optional. We might not think so, but it is. We can't control when our daughter eats our leftover pizza and we don't have any dinner. We can't control, you know, that happening, but we can choose whether we will lament over the lost pizza or whether or not we pivot and have a you know, bit of gratitude for the fact that she had food to eat and that we still have veggies and hummus in the fridge and that we can eat that for our dinner. And if that sounds personal, it's because it is. It just happened to me tonight. <laughs> so we can dwell on the loss or we can embrace the change. Dwelling on the loss is dukkha dukkha, suffering about our suffering. I lost the pizza, <laughs> which is probably good for me anyways to have lost that. But I lost the pizza. That already happened. I can't make the pizza reappear. So now it's about, do I complain about it? Or do I shift gears and go, oh, but I got awesome pine nut hummus and fresh vegetables, a refrigerator full of that stuff, you know. I can enjoy a great dinner. And my daughter got to eat what makes her happy. It's about how you address it, right? Sunny side of the bus or dark side of the bus. And if you know about that, you know about that. So it means finding gratitude for what is. And in doing so, you know, we're inclining the heart and mind towards sukha or happiness, which is the opposite of dukkha. Not clinging to the idea of what could have been, not craving the pleasant feeling tone from that pizza, which is all in the past, but using mindfulness to recognize what is, using gratitude to incline the heart and mind, which makes what we have enough. And then nurturing that pleasant, feeling that comes from that. That is transformation of suffering. That is literally what the Buddha was teaching. You know, when he said you could transform your suffering, he wasn't talking about magic. 
He's talking about you can complain about it or you can embrace what is. Pure and simple. It's not mystical at all. <laughs> and if you do that with everything in your life, you have achieved uh, not suffering. <laughs> but good luck doing that with everything in your life. It's more difficult than it might sound. Dukkha Dukkha can be suffering about any experience that causes us pain. It refers to the more obvious forms of suffering, such as physical and emotional suffering, associated with things like birth, aging, illness, dying, experiencing what we don't like. In other words, unpleasant feelings. We injure ourselves, a loved one passes away, a person that we see as mm, a despicable human <laughs> wins the state primaries. Uh, our aversion to physical pain, our aversion to a life lived without our loved one, uh, and the violation of all that we hold dear, our sense of uh, common decency being violated uh, you know, by a political leader. <laughs> These are the things that cause us suffering. And then how we respond to it causes us the sec that second part of suffering, the second arrow. Another word in Pali language is tanha, which means craving or thirst. Craving things to be different than they are. Craving is dukkha, dukkha. It's suffering about suffering or the second arrow. Craving something that we're attached to. So the, the second one of the three, though, is, is that uh, sankara dukkha. Suffering of formations or conditioned states. This one represents more subtle, like the sort of undercurrent of dissatisfaction or discomfort that we find in our daily life. You know, it's not the acute suffering about suffering, like dukkha dukkha. It's it's also different from the suffering we get from dealing with change. It's a more pervasive, subtle kind of thing. And it arises because all conditioned phenomena are impermanent, imperfect, and ultimately impersonal. And those three things are the three marks of existence that are built into everything in our experience of living in relative reality, which reminds us that everything that we construct, our identities, our relationships, our achievements, and even our thoughts and feelings, are all transient and will not provide lasting satisfaction. And the, that one is really crucial because the quicker you can wrap your mind around that, the easier all of the rest of it is. <laughs> when you realize that nothing is permanent, then it becomes a little easier to understand that you don't have to suffer about it. You're suffering because you want it to be permanent. Because you think it's permanent. When you realize, when you know that it's not permanent, then it gets a little easier, maybe a lot easier. And, you know, it refers to that sort of undercurrent I mentioned, which is present in all conditioned things. And because they're impermanent, the fact that they're subject to change and the fact that they are not us, they're not who we are, you know, the fact that they're not a part of this identity that we build for ourselves that we think lasts, then that makes us suffer. So 
it's really, it's the formation of things like thoughts and mental formations and the proliferation of thought or papancha, which is the word for that. Um, it's judgment. A pain happens and we're averse to it. And then we say, that shouldn't have happened to me. You know, I don't deserve this. All the thoughts that spin up in response to unavoidable pain is what papancha is. And that creates or makes up that second arrow we talked about. So to me, these three ways, these three kinds of suffering always kind of overlap. There's always like two of them at play. <laughs> they kind of overlap a little bit. And the third one is that Viparanama Dukkha, which is the suffering of change. Speaking of change. <laughs> when we talk about this one, we're talking about how we just can't stand it when things change. More specifically, that that uh, that things do change, and we have no control over that. That's viparanama dukkha. It refers to how uncomfortable we are, how uneasy we are with the experience. Whenever temporary pleasures that we think are going to last, or that we want to last, um, and even even our normal things that we think you know, are, make us happy that we encounter in life are inevitably going to change and end. And we never quite believe that they will. Even when we know better. We, what's really wild to me, this is sort of off track a little bit, but what's really wild to me is we can sometimes be thinking in our head, well, this isn't going to last. And at the same time, at the very same time, thinking, yeah, but I really want it to last. <laughs> I, it, it could last. This this could be different. You know, so we fool ourselves. as Even as we know that it's not going to last. So it's a, it's a subtle, you know, form of this suffering. But it's everywhere we look. Affects everything in every moment. Everything is in a state of transition. And yet we think it's not. And even in the aftermath of joyful, you know, joyous occasions that we might experience, you know, the end of a vacation, when our kids move out, you know, we have some wonderful experience that's coming to an end. Um, and there's suffering in that, right? We suffer because this, this really pleasant thing is ending. The very nature of our existence is that it's impermanent. And there's this band that I used to love. My band opened up for them long, long ago. They were called the Joneses. One of the best unknown bands ever of that era. And they had a song called Everything Changes. And I had no idea decades ago how absolutely right that song was. <laughs> Everything Changes. Everything around us, including our being, is in a constant state of flux. We see this in the changing of seasons. We see it in the growth and decay of nature. Right now, outside my house, right now, the, the trees are starting to burst into bloom. All around my house, I pointed out to my, my daughter today how, you know, all the little buds are popping out there. And it's in the cycle of life and death, which also happens all around us every day and is happening to us right now. 
we're, you know, the minute you're born, you start dying. That's the reality of it. And yet we don't think so. (laughs) And yet, despite the obvious inherent impermanence, we often are clinging to these moments of happiness, somehow hoping that this time it'll last forever. Or we strive to avoid or ignore the inevitable changes. You know, the the resistance uh, that we have to the natural laws of change is the root of this Viparanama Dukkha. The Buddha taught that the path to liberation from suffering lies in how well we understand the true nature of reality. Clear seeing, which includes acknowledging the impermanence of everything. It includes embracing the reality of change. And doing that, we can reduce our suffering and move, you know, ahead, step by step on the path towards equanimity, balance. So this one's kind of referring to the suffering that arises from the impermanent nature of everything, our happiness, our pleasure, you know, and the fact that these things aren't lasting. We gain and we want to keep it. Things feel good and we don't want them to go bad. I'm happy and I don't want to be unhappy. I'm healthy and strong and I don't want to lose that. And yet, even as you think that, you're losing it. <laughs> you know, my, my loved ones are my life. I can't lose them. That suffering right there. And you think you can't lose someone? You are suffering because you're going to lose them. That's just the way that this whole world is. Everything in it. Oh, we can't lose this election. President A to President B or whatever. Whoever that is. Clinging to things, even the good ones, is going to cause you suffering because everything is impermanent. And, you know... No talk about suffering is ever complete without quoting Viktor Frankl, who said, between stimulus and response, there's a space, and in the space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom, if I'm quoting him correctly. And that's exactly what the Buddha was telling us thousands of years ago. In the 12 links of dependent origination that the Buddha taught, There's a point where contact happens. You've probably heard me talk about it. There's a point where contact happens. Whichever sensory organ, you know, sense organ, like the eye, for instance, the eye makes contact with a physical object. The eye sees the crystal cavern or whatever. And when that contact between the eye and the object takes place, it's somewhere around that time that we have the space and the opportunity to practice mindfulness And choose our response. So, you know, as we've talked about all night tonight, this word dukkha, you know, for suffering or discomfort, is talking about all the ways that we ride through our lives in that cart with a rough axle hole. I said axle hole. (laughs) And all the inevitable changes about it that are going to unsettle us. The subtle dissatisfaction 
that pervades everything, even in our most beloved moments. And yet, if we can understand that, then we give the gift to ourselves of the opportunity for spiritual growth and for lasting happiness. The Buddha's teachings are clear and no nonsense. He says, with mindfulness, we can recognize the space between stimulus and response. He said that way before Viktor Frankl said it. He just didn't use those words. He said, that's where our freedom really lies. And with that space, when we shine the light of awareness on it, that's when we gift ourselves with the power to choose and respond instead of react. And that's what leads to spiritual progress. Or you could say spiritual growth if you don't like the word progress. Some people don't. Language is always a tough <laughs> thing. And, and all of that keeps us from getting entangled in what the Buddha called this whole mass of suffering. He didn't ask us to believe in anything. He invited us to come and see for ourselves with our own direct experience what happens when we embrace change with equanimity. When we meet loss with compassion. When we approach life's impermanence with a heart grounded in the you know, direct experiential knowledge. The direct knowing, the clear seeing of reality as it is true nature of reality. We're sort of, you know, inexorably linked or mixed up in this whole mass of suffering, but our responses to it are not predetermined. Using mindfulness and reflection and cultivating wisdom, we can transform how we relate to dukkha. We can break free from it into a balanced way of living and being free. It's funny, I was, I was reading a, a thread earlier on social media, uh, and there's about three or four or five people on there that were all talking about, well, let's just say, ways to enhance your state of being, <laughs> if I'm being polite. And it kind of made me, it kind of bummed me out a little bit. What bums me out about it is because these are all people with a deep spiritual practice who also feel the feel that use of intoxicants is acceptable or and sometimes they even think beneficial. Um, but the Buddha was very clear. He said intoxicants, you know, he didn't say they were wrong or bad or that you were wrong or bad if you use them. But he said, you're wasting your time if you use them. You're you're blowing it. You're, he said, if you use these intoxicants, you're impeding your spiritual growth. It's not helping you. It's hindering you. He said, you know, there's four things you can do to speed up your progress. And he said, the fifth thing, if you, if you, if you do it, it'll make it even faster because it protects those other four things. And that is to not use intoxicants. So he didn't say it was bad, and he didn't say, thou shalt not do it. He just said, look, if you're doing these four things, not lying, not stealing, not killing, you know, not abusing sexual conduct, 
He said, if you're, if you're doing those four things or, you know, vowing not to do those four things, then you're going to go really fast in your path. And he said, if you want to supercharge that, don't do intoxicants because when you do intoxicants, it makes you heedless. And when you're heedless, you're less likely to uphold those other four things. So it wasn't about judgment of right or wrong. There was no laws about it. There was no, no condemnation. It was just, look, you don't need that stuff. It, it, it clouds the mind and you need a clear mind for this. That's all it was. And so, uh, you know, that, that was something I, I was thinking about earlier as I saw it there. And that's, you know, again, not my opinion. It's the Buddha's opinion. I happen to share it and agree with it. But, but that came from him 2,700 years ago, almost. So, you know, it, it, I guess it kind of made me sad because from a Buddhist perspective, at least, they're, they're suffering from the delusion and the desire for things to be other than they are. No matter what they say, if they're using a substance that alters the mind, then they're changing uh, the way that the mind is or they're wanting to, or else they wouldn't do it, right? And so whether they know it or not, they're under the idea, they're operating under the idea that they need to change something. They're not accepting this moment as it is. They're trying to achieve some other moment. And again, no judgment from me on that. I have a lot of friends that do a lot of things. <laughs> and I always have. Uh, you know, but he, the Buddha was very clear on it. And he did like he did with everything. He said, you know, he said, I'm telling you what is fact. But don't take my word for it. You know, try it yourself and see if it's true. And I love that about the Dharma. I love that. He didn't say don't do, no, don't use intoxicants because I say not to use intoxicants. He said, hey, I am telling you that it is absolutely true that it is a dead end road. But you should find out for yourself. Try not using them and see if it goes better for you. And that's all he said. The Buddha said that embracing the Four Noble Truths and walking the Eightfold Path was the fastest way for us to find a roadmap out of the grip of suffering towards a freedom that isn't dependent on external circumstances. That's, you know, anchored in the clarity of our own minds, the clarity of our own mind. That's the, that's where the whole non use of intoxicants comes from. So this trip that we're on, on the spiritual path is not, denying that pain exists or rejecting life's pleasures. It's just saying, Hey, this is the most efficient method for us to be free of suffering. And if that's not what you're trying to do, then do what you want. That's cool. But the Buddhist path is a call to action for us to live fully and wisely and compassionately and appreciate how fleeting this beautiful life is, you know, without getting stuck and clinging, being able to meet its inevitable changes and have a little bit of grace and resilience in the process. So we have very little time left to meditate because of all the weird hiccups we had tonight, but let's meditate for a few minutes here.
I'm going to trust that you're already settled in. And if not, you're doing so very quickly now with a nice big inhale and a long, slow exhale. Letting go of all the stuff of the day. Checking in with the body real quick. Is anything going on that I should pay attention to? I got a little bit of a discomfort in my right bottom side. A little bit of muscle tension in the back, maybe. Otherwise, feeling great. A lot better than when I got in here. <laughs> Felt pretty frantic and uh, angry and irritable when I got in here and now I feel great. I'd say about 1% level of discomfort. 99% feeling great. And that's always worth noticing. So once you're settled in a little bit, if you're, if you're feeling, if you still need to breathe and settle, then do that. But once you are settled in, you know, bring to mind any current discomfort or stress or dis-ease that you're experiencing in life. Not right this second, but like, you know, today, this week, this month. Any dis-ease or discomfort could be physical pain, it could be emotional distress, a mixture of both. Could be that your family didn't tell you you had to fill out FAFSA paperwork until 30 minutes before the deadline, you know. <laughs> Notice that uh, what kind of dukkha it might be out of those three kinds of dukkha. Is it Suffering about suffering? Mine was. That whole thing with the paperwork. It was already done. It already happened. <laughs> and as I sat there, I was not embracing things as they were. I was complaining about people not telling me something they should have told me. About, you know not getting an email alert that I should have gotten. It was all about shoulda. I shoulda this and I shoulda that. and It should have been this way and it should have been that way. That's the second arrow. So just notice that. Whatever it is for you, just notice it. Pain of loss. Pleasant things that don't last. Just acknowledge it. Don't judge it. Just see it. For what it is, recognize. This rain practice is great for this kind of thing. Recognize the R in rain. And then just allow that experience to be there. Don't push it away. Don't cling to it. <laughs> but don't push it away either. Just let it be there. doesn't mean that you agree with the discomfort or the cause of it. doesn't mean that you want it. You're just giving it the space to exist. Because it can't be any other way than it is. 
You're not fighting it. You're not ignoring it. You're not pushing it away. You can even imagine giving your discomfort permission to be there. That's what Thich Nhat Hanh would do. He would invite it. Invite it to sit nearby. That's what I used to do is invite my suffering to sit down in the corner. I would say, I see you, Mara. I see you. Come in. Have a seat in the corner. I'm busy. I don't have time for you. But you don't have to leave. You can stay if you just need some company, my dear suffering. If you need some company, whatever you need, I'm here for you. I'm just not going to engage with you right now, but you're welcome to stay here with me until you feel ready to leave. (laughs) Tea with Mara. Natural, normal part of human existence is this suffering. And then you can start, once once you're sort of got it settled down, you've invited it in, you're feeling, you know, a little less upset about it being there, you're doing a little bit of allowing, then you can start investigating it. You can start looking at it, you know, instead of, you know, just telling it to sit in the corner and pretending like it's not there, you can say, okay, I see you over there. What's going on? What do you need from me? What is it that you need, suffering? What do you need from me right now? How can I help you? What thoughts or emotions or physical sensations are associated with it? How does it feel in the body when you look at it? You can see if you notice any craving for things to be different than they are, any resistance to them being the way they are, or attachment to them. See if you can identify, uh, you know, that dukkha in your experience, that bumpy ride, and observe it. Look at what's causing it to be bumpy. Why is this not smooth? Why am I resisting it? And then finally, just not identifying with it, you know, the in and rain, you know, means recognizing that while you experience suffering, you are not the suffering. My mind has a mind of its own, you know. You are not the suffering. It's just a part of your experience, like everything else, and it doesn't define who you are. You can imagine it like clouds passing through the sky. You're the sky and the suffering is the clouds. The sky is going to be there. The clouds are going to go away. The discomfort, the stress, the unease, it's all temporary. It's not fixed. Just as your being is not fixed. And you can go through that, recognizing, allowing, investigating, and not identifying over and over with anything that you face in life. This is a great practice to do.
You don't have to go all the way through it if you can't. You can recognize it, and sometimes that's all you can do. Okay, I I definitely recognize that that's causing me suffering, but I don't have what it takes right now to allow it. So you turn away from it and come back another time. That's what meditation is. You're looking towards it and then looking away from it. Looking towards it again and looking away from it. Titrating back and forth, back and forth. Two steps forward, one back. Two steps forward, one back. You're still going to get there. I see you, Mara. Come on in. Sit down. I'll be with you soon. Maybe you get the recognizing and the allowing. Get comfortable with that. You start investigating. Investigation can really be uncomfortable sometimes. And there's layers to it. You might uncover layer one and go, oh, cool, solved that. But guess what? There's another layer there. You can wipe that dust off too. See another layer. Wipe that dust off too. And then one day you'll get to the root cause. And guess what? The root cause is always the same. The root cause is always, always, always craving. When you finally find the craving at the bottom of whatever the suffering is, you've gotten to the root and you can start non-identifying with it. Because you're always craving for it to be different than it is, or craving for it to stay the way it is, or craving to for it not to be at all. Greed, hatred, and delusion.
You're still here? It's over. Go practice. Go. Chicken